He'd shared his story hundreds of times. But it never got old to him. He loved seeing the look on the person's face the first time they heard him tell about the day that he heard this voice. It was so real and near that he turned around to see who's, who's talking in my ear. Where's his voice coming from? It took him almost a full day to realize the voice was coming from his own mind. And it wasn't kind. It wasn't a kind voice. The voice said all kinds of horrible things about himself. It wouldn't leave him alone. Then one day, the voice took control of his whole mouth. Randomly horrible, horrible and crazy things would come out of his mouth, and there was nothing he could do to stop it. He tried to explain his struggles to those around him. They didn't understand. They didn't care. He already lost all hope, but now the voices took control of his body to the point that people in the village, even his own parents, would chain him up in the cemetery. The message couldn't be more clear. They just wanted him to die already. But he wanted to scream, I'm the victim here, but nothing would come out. One day he was walking along the beach by himself, and there was an unmistakable fear in all the voices in his mind, a fear he had never heard before. Something about a man named Jesus that was in a boat that he could just barely see in the distance, but on the sea. The voices pressed him to run into the field, but he stayed put with his feet in the water. He had no idea that the man, this man named Jesus, on that boat was about to change his life forever. We're three weeks into our series on Made for Mission, and the story you just heard from Larry is a story that we're going to go into detail with this morning, a story about the man that Jesus confronted that was uh, demon-possessed and left for dead by everybody in his community, and the interaction that God had, that Jesus had with this man, not only changed his life, but changed his community forever. Um, it's good to have you guys here this morning. So glad that you're here on this beautiful Lord's Day. I just want to remind you of a couple of things real quick. First off, these banners on the walls here this morning are representative of the unreached people groups of the world. And if you'll look, it starts here, goes around this way, and ends this way in the alphabetical order. And you can see from where you're seated some very small print. Uh, each of those are countries or unreached people groups with a number next to them. 50,000, 150,000, 2 million, uh, hundreds, thousands, tens of thousands, millions. It totals billions of people if you do the math. And these people are the unreached people groups of the world. I want you to take the time over the next couple of weeks, really today, and then next Sunday will be your last Sunday to be able to, to look at these. But they're up here as a reminder to you of the massive amount of people that still need to hear about Jesus. And we're gearing up for this coming weekend uh, our missions emphasis. We're having a missions banquet, our yearly missions banquet, this coming Saturday. Most all of the tickets have been... Um, uh, taken by the congregation folks here, but if you still haven't had a ticket and you would like to go, uh, they're free of charge, but we ask that don't just take a ticket. 
if you're not going to come. If you're going to take a ticket, please make sure you come. There's only five tickets left, so first come, first serve. If you have taken a ticket already, but you realize that this coming Saturday is not going to work for you, I would have really appreciated if you turned that ticket back in and make sure that somebody else would have the opportunity to come. It's going to be a wonderful banquet in the Fellowship Hall. It's going to start at 5 o'clock, a beautiful dinner that's being created by the ladies of the church and Jonette and the rest of the team is putting together a great theme and decorating it beautifully. It's just going to be so well done. And I know that you'll be really, really blessed and encouraged by it. We're having some special guests here. Uh, they're going to be sharing next Saturday at the banquet, as well as in our children's ministry next Sunday morning, as well as youth service next Sunday night. And then next Sunday morning in our service, we're having Teen Challenge coming from Georgetown area of South Carolina coming here to minister. And they'll be holding the services here next week. And I know you won't want to miss it. There's some powerful ministry that's going to be coming uh, as a result of that. One more thing I want to mention is that if you come this Saturday, please make sure you bring your ticket and we'll put your name on it and we'll put it in a box, a, a little uh, drawing that we're going to have at the end of the time together. And one person is going to be able to enjoy a $25 Olive Garden gift card. So that's good incentive, huh? So you get a free meal, potential to win an Olive Garden gift card, and uh, so it'll be a great blessing. Um, also, this past <clears throat> Thursday, I was so proud of the seven men that went to the uh, York County Detention Center, and we went to an orientation, along with about 30 other people that were there. Was, we were part of the 30 that were there, and uh, just the faith community from all over this uh, wonderful community that we live in. They were just there for the orientation and, and opportunity to, to serve in such ways, the Bible studies and sharing other, other ways. Uh, and so I just want to say thank you to the men that were part of that. Also this past Saturday, and I'll show you some pictures here in a little bit, but the past, this past Saturday, uh, yesterday actually, we had a wonderful outreach uh, at the, um, at the uh, homeless shelter just up the street here on Cherry Road. Um, and uh, we had 15 people from our church be part of that as well. So, you know, this is a wonderful, wonderful body of believers here. You guys are just loving and serving and giving and doing and being the church. So thank you for that. And many lives were changed. But, you know, the first week that we, were, uh, that we started this series, we, we, we were told and recognized, we embraced the fact that we're all called Every single one of us are called to the mission. Uh, and it really doesn't matter what you've done in your life. It doesn't matter what your past is. God has an exciting plan for your life, and that plan is to live on mission. Now, I had this box out, out here the last couple of Sundays, if you remember, and it said on the box, mission. Uh, and a lot of times what we do is when we see and recognize that we're called to mission, and you're hearing this again today, uh, a lot of times many of us and many of the church will ignore that fact that we're called to mission. Many of us just ignore it, act as if it doesn't even exist. Uh, another portion of us would go to the point of saying, well, we're just going to avoid it. We know it's there, but we're just going to kind of walk around it. We're going to make believe that that's someone else's responsibility. We're going to avoid it. We're too busy. I'm not qualified. I'm scared. Whatever the case may be, we avoid it. 
Another thing that we do is we actually kind of consider. Every once in a while, we'll bump into it. Maybe we'll rest our leg on it. We'll stumble over it every so often. We'll accidentally be part of the mission. And so we'll consider it every so often, but then most of the time we just don't. But what God has called us to do is not any of those three. He's actually called us to live on mission. And so I've stood on that box the last couple of Sundays, right on top of it. And God's calling us to have as our foundation of our relationship with him, that we would partner with him in what he's already doing in this world. God has already launched this mission. It started in Acts chapter 2. <laughs> it, it started when the church was birthed and the Holy Spirit fell on the folks that were there. And we are that church. We are that generation of that original church some 2,000 years ago. And we are the spirit-filled. We are the spirit-empowered. We are the spirit-led men and women of God that God has called us to partner with him on the mission that Jesus launched for his church some 2,000 years ago. So last week, we looked and asked the question, okay, now if I am called then what's my mission? What am I called to do? And we were challenged with some things last week, and so many folks turned in those index cards that I had you fill out at the end of the service where I ask you, what is it that's competing with that mission? What, uh, what comfort have you placed in front of that mission? What commitment have you placed in front of that mission? What divided heart have you placed in front of that mission? And people wrote down all kinds of stuff. It was amazing. I collected them all. I put them together in my office and I got them in a stack. Nobody put any names on them, but I tell you what, there was a lot of really interesting things. Some people talked about fear. Some people, a lot of people talked about television and video games and social media, all those sort of things, all, all that sort of stuff that's kind of thrown in front of you. A lot of challenges, a lot of competition for the mission that God has placed us on. And throughout our week, we walk through, I'm afraid. We walk through, I'm busy. We walk through, I don't care. A lot of people wrote down, I just want a passion for it. I just don't have a desire. And that's a big obstacle for me. And thank you for being honest. And you were being honest with the Lord. And the Lord is here to help you to overcome these obstacles. Our mission, a lot of times these things get in the way. But I promise you that if you put these distracting and these competing missions in the right place, and you live on mission for Jesus, the Bible says if you seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and then all these other things are going to be added unto you, they will fall into the right place in your life. You know, it's not a regret to share Jesus. It's not a dread. It actually is a joy and it's a reward. But it requires us to be humble and to submit our lives, our goals, our desires, our past our shame, our insecurities, our fears, and to let him be strong and able through you and through me. I hope, I hope you've been able to daily take those things that you wrote down on those index cards and say, Lord, I give you my TV time. I give you my fears. I give you my social media time. I give you the things that are pulling me away from the mission. So today we're going to spend some time talking about what is our message? So we know that we've been all called to mission. We know that we have that mission, but there's some things that compete with it. 
So what is it that we actually say while living on our mission? What's our message? As a Christian, this is at the very heart of our following Jesus Christ. It's at the very heart of it. You may not have ever heard that before. You may not have heard that in a long time. You may not even think that. You may think that your heart for following Jesus, the very heart of following Jesus, is that you're saved and that one day you get to go to heaven. But that's not the heart of our following Jesus. That's a benefit of following Jesus, but not at the heart of following Jesus. As we follow Jesus, the heart of following Jesus is that we tell others about Jesus. Aren't you glad someone told you? Some, aren't you glad someone told you about Jesus? Yeah, so am I. But as we all know from experience, and it bears out because our church is no different than the vast majority of the churches in our country and even in our world. If we really lived on mission, this church would be packed. This church would have to go to two and three and four and five services. We would be having a building program because we wouldn't be able to fit in the people that are coming to this church because we are out living on mission and bringing people to the Lord and bringing people to the church. That's not to say shame on us, and I'm not trying to make you feel bad, but I am trying to wake us up to the realization that we are not, as a church, the big C church, living on mission. If everybody in this world, and I've said this before, if everybody in this world that confesses themselves as Lord and, uh, Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior went out and led one person to the Lord, this world would be saved in a week. But we're not doing it because we're distracted. We're afraid. We're comfortable. All those things that we talked about last week. Does that make sense to you? I mean, is, is it right? I mean, we're, we're that way. I'm right there with you. I get it. So it's not a natural thing to share the mission, to share the message. It's not a natural thing for us to share Jesus. Something has to change. We have to be intentional with it. Now, I know that several of you have been with me uh, on, on some missions trips over the years. I've been to Romania. I've been to um, Cuba. I've been to Dominican Republic. I've been to Ecuador. And no matter where I go, they speak a different language than English. And so thank the Lord for Patricia, who went with me one time, uh, uh, went with us one time to Ecuador, and the DR rather, and Ecuador, both of them. And, and, and you were there to interpret Spanish. Because I tell you what, I mean, Spanish is a beautiful language, but I can't speak it. And when I went to those nations, it was so frustrating to me to just communicate with them something simple because all I know is English and all they know is Spanish. And without an interpreter, it was pretty hopeless. We relegate ourselves. I remember I was relegating myself to, uh, I would I'd do hand motions. You know, food. <laughs> I, I would point to things, you know, that, that's what I'm talking about. Or I would just speak it in English and just hope that somehow some words that I'm saying kind of were similar to the words in Spanish. It's pretty frustrating. And it, by, by the way, it made me every single time to vow that I would take up that particular language as soon as I got home. <laughs> I never did. I still don't know Spanish. <clears throat> but do you ever feel like that sharing Jesus is a lot like that? 
that you're speaking a different language. You can't just seem to get the words out, and you're pretty sure that you're confusing the other person more than you're helping them. You could be talking with a neighbor about sports, or you can be talking about a neighbor about some other situations that are going on, some stuff that's happening in the world today. And that's easy. <clears throat> but the moment you bring up God, the moment you bring up Jesus, it's like you're in a foreign country fumbling through what you're desperately wanting them to understand. You know what I'm talking about? Anybody other than me in that category? I'm sure that many of us can relate to this. So if that's you today, this message is to help you, hopefully, greatly, to maybe begin confidently learning the language of witnessing Jesus to others in a way that's effective and in a way that they can understand. So I hope you're ready to take some notes here. I want you to turn with me to Mark chapter 5. <clears throat> if you will get out your uh, pen and paper and your Bibles. Starting in Mark chapter 5, we're also going to look at Luke chapter 8. So if you want to kind of put your finger in there or some other sort of something, because we're going to flip over to Luke chapter 8. Mark chapter 5 and Luke chapter 8 are the same stories told from two different vantage points. Mark chapter 5 has some certain aspects. Luke chapter 8 has some certain aspects. So we're going to toggle back and forth between those two different perspectives of the same story. Mark chapter 5 verses 1 and 2 is where we're going to start. And here we go. It says, they, they being Jesus and the disciples, went across the lake, which is the Sea of Galilee, to the region of the Gerasenes. 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 However you pronounce it, that's where they were. When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an impure spirit came from the tombs to meet him. Now, they went across the Sea of Galilee, by the way, by, as they... Because they went across the Sea of Galilee, this is actually very significant. This was where the non-Jews lived. Jesus was a Jew, the disciples were Jews, and they went across this lake to the other side of the lake where the non-Jews lived. And the Jews did not interact typically with the non-Jews. And it all traced way back to the Old Testament when the Israelites did not complete their job of clearing out all of the promised land like God had commanded them to do. Read it in Exodus, Leviticus, all throughout. The people living there were the descendants of those people that they either let stay or they couldn't conquer. And by the way, Jewish teenage young men did not travel to the other side of the lake, and that's exactly who Jesus carted over. You may think, well, what do you mean Jewish teenage boys. You know, if you watch these movies and these documentaries and you have Jesus out there, you know, his nice full beard and he's looking 30 years old or so, usually the disciples are that age or even older, some of them. Some of them have gray beard and no hair. You think, wow, the disciples, they're like 40, 50 years old, some of them, right? No. The disciples were roughly between 15 and 18 years old. Some of you guys in here are 15 to 18 years old. And that's the age that Jesus was calling. Some of these guys between the ages of 15 years old, and, and the reason I say this is because in the Jewish culture, by the time you, you turn 15, they were graduated from whatever schooling that they had. And they were working full time. Fishermen, stuff like that, in their father's trades. And by the time they were 18, usually... They were married around then in the Jewish culture, give or take. 
If you realize Peter, only Peter had a wife. Peter was probably about 20 years old or so. The reason we know that is because Peter had a younger brother, you know, and he wasn't married. So there was Peter, and there was also Matthew. He's probably about 20 or so because he was already established in business. But the rest of the guys, they were roughly about 15 to 18 years old, just young guys. Pastor Matt, did you know that Jesus was the very first youth pastor? Isn't that awesome? Very first one. My guess is that Jesus didn't collect permission slip waivers <laughs> from the disciples' parents for this dangerous youth trip across this stormy lake. Because if you read the chapter before, Jesus calms this storm as they were in this boat headed to the other side. And as soon as they get out, there was this naked, crazy, screaming, demon-possessed man running towards them. Here's my other guess. If you put all this on a flyer of things to expect on the next youth retreat, Pastor Matt, see how many people you get to go up on that one, right? You're going to see naked, crazy people. You're going to go through a storm. Yeah. You know, the young disciples are probably thinking, these 15 to 18-year-old guys are probably thinking, the other side of this lake is worse than our parents have told us. <laughs> they, all these things they warned us about, it's even worse. These people are crazy. I bet everybody here is like that guy. So, Jesus, let's just get back on the boat. Let's go back to the normal side of the lake. But, you know, the disciples may have reacted that way, but Jesus did not react that way. I want you to check out what happens next in Mark chapter 5, verses 3 through 5. It says, this man lived in the tombs. You heard our narrator this morning talk about this. And no one else, no one could bind him anymore. Not even with chains. For he had often been chained hand and foot. But he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. You have to be pretty strong. I mean, very strong to do that. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. Think about this. Night and day among the tombs in the hills. So I could just hear it echoing down into the towns. This like a wolf crying out, like a howling in the midnight hours. And he would cut himself with stones on whatever he could find. Did you know? That the average person who receives Christ has already had 17 unique spiritual encounters before that decision was made. 17. So there was this one planting that took place. Someone planted a seed and then 15 people watered it. 15 faithful people watered that seed and then one person led them to the Lord. Did you know how important it is? I want to show you some pictures of yesterday. These 15 people from our church that went out to this place, they started here, they prepared the food, they prayed over it, they prayed God's effectiveness and impact on, on their ministry. Then they went to the homeless shelter and they loved on them and they gave testimony and they fed them and they prayed with them. One-on-one, -on -one, there were divine encounters. And all 15 of these people that are here this morning that you went, you are one of those people. You planted a seed 
Or maybe you watered some seeds. Or maybe you were that 17th one that was able to lead them to the Lord. But you made the difference yesterday. But if you hadn't gone, there wouldn't have been any seeds planted. There wouldn't have been any seeds watered. There wouldn't have been a harvest. But a lot of people got saved yesterday. A lot of people received the Lord yesterday. About 15, I think. It seems to be a common number. But that's what Shekinah told me. About 15 people received the Lord yesterday. That would not have happened if you all hadn't have gone. Let's give God praise for this. The seven guys that went to the prison this past Thursday from our church and the 30 from our community are going, and there's a, hundreds of inmates at this facility that are only there for about 90 days. It's just a, one of those interesting, it's, they're not there for years. They're there for 90 days to just kind of serve through some of their terms of things that they had to, you know, that they got in trouble with. And we have opportunities to go and lead Bible studies and lead these people to the Lord and disciple them. We can share our story. You seven guys that signed up, that went to this orientation, follow through with it. Go make a difference in these men's lives. You're going to go to these different pods and you're going to minister to dozens and dozens and dozens of men as often as you go. And you're making a difference. Everything that we do, everywhere that we go, we're making a difference. We're living on mission. Here's the thing. Just because someone has rejected God before you as you're sharing the Lord doesn't mean that they will the time that you share it. You could be the 17th one. You have no idea where you fit into this time frame, this process, and the impact that your words are making because what you're doing is you're planting, you're watering, and then God brings the increase. You plant and you water, and then God brings the increase. 1 Corinthians 3. Six through seven, Paul writing saying, I planted the seed. This is Paul saying this. Apollos, who's another minister, he watered it. But it's God that has been making it grow. We don't take credit for anything. Can you make a seed grow? No, you can't. You can't even develop a seed. God provides the seed. God provides the water. And God makes it grow. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow grow. We have to get out there and we have to plant and we have to water and we have to be faithful and we have to live on mission. But if we don't, nothing is going to happen and the church will not grow and fulfill its purposes of being the salt and light that God has called us to be, to be a representation of Jesus Christ everywhere we go and in every conversation that we have. This demon possessed man was apparently, he had a pretty horrible past but it didn't seem to bother Jesus. We kind of tend to avoid people like, ugh. Imagine approaching a naked, demon-possessed guy who was cut all over his body. Dirty, I'm sure, filthy. Probably long fingernails, unkept, all those sort of things, you know? Completely unapproachable. But to Jesus, he was drawn immediately to this man. Aren't you glad today that no matter the decisions that you made, that no matter the mistakes that you've made, that no matter the shame that you've lived in, that no matter what, that Jesus did not turn you away. Aren't you thankful for that this morning? Aren't you glad that Jesus did not turn you away? He could have. He should have. 
But he didn't. And he never will. He loves you. He accepts you. He forgives no matter what. I want you to notice how quickly this scene got intense really fast. You never know, by the way, when you're going to have an opportunity to share Jesus. So you better be ready at all times. Second Timothy, actually, Paul wrote to him in Second Timothy 4.2 and said this, preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. In other words, be ready at all times. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. You know, we read that and we think, oh, that's for pastors. No, that's for us. We're to all be prepared to preach the word and to share instant, in season and out of season. Be always ready. Now, Jesus constantly spent time with his heavenly father. He stayed prayed up so he could be ready at a moment's notice. And that is an example that he used for us. We can do the same. Let's stay prayed up. Because you never know when the opportunity to share Jesus is going to come. So we need to be spiritually alert. We need to be sensitive. We need to be compassionate. We need to be ready. Now let's go over to Luke chapter 8. If you will flip over from Mark to Luke. And let's see what happens next. We're going to start in verse 28 of Luke chapter 8. It says this. When he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell at his feet, shouting at the top of his voice, what do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I beg you, don't torture me. For Jesus had commanded the impure spirit to come out of this man. Many times it had seized him, and though he was chained hand and foot and kept under guard, he had broken his chains and had been driven by the demon into solitary places. I want you to notice that this man asked the question, what do you want with me? I want you to step into this guy's life if you can for just a moment. Imagine yourself him. This man fully expected Jesus to say or to do something horrible to him because that's all he had ever experienced. The man expects some sort of torture because that's all he's ever known. His experiences with people have probably only ever been bad because of his lifestyle, because of where he was. He was rejected. He was judged. He was shunned. He was scorned. Do you ever feel that way? Do you ever feel rejected, judged, shunned, scorned? I know I have. You know, it's funny how we all sin. We all do awful things. But yet, others treat us as if they're perfect. Same on us. All have sinned. Romans 3, 23, all have sinned. Say the word all with me. All have sinned. Say it again. All have sinned. We all have sinned. Say, I have sinned. Say it. I have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We're all in that same category. We should never look down at anybody but for the grace of God, we would be in that same situation. But we're here to rescue, are we not? We're here to go to that person, are we not? No matter what they look like, no matter what's happened, no one is perfect. We've all sinned, and none of us have the right to hold judgment over anyone else. You know, the passage says that this man was often in chains. Think about it. I don't think that he took a bunch of chains from the general store. He didn't go to the... Ace Hardware, he didn't go to the true value and say, I'd like a bunch of chains, please. Make them good and strong. 
I'm going to bind myself up. I'm going to strip naked and I'm going to go to the cemetery. He just didn't do that. Nobody in their right mind would do that. Those chains were put on him. Other people did it. And on top of that, they not only did that, but they just threw him in the back of the cart, hauled him off to the cemetery, and said, I'm done with you. Just think about that for just a moment. Here he is chained in a cemetery. How more clearly can you communicate outside of killing that person the words, I just wish you were dead. Why don't you just go ahead and die already? You ever felt that way? Maybe you've even told yourself that. And maybe you've even tried to kill yourself because you've got yourself convinced that it's not worth living. You might as well just give up. But let me just tell you something. God is a God of life. And he loves you. And he's not telling you to kill yourself. That's not coming from God. That's coming from Satan. Don't end your life. Don't give up. Tomorrow is a better day. Today may be pretty awful. I get it. But there's always tomorrow. And if we live in hope, and we live in the hope that we have in Christ, life is worth the living. I want you to keep this in mind too. He wasn't just bound up and thrown in the cemetery saying, why don't you just die already? I think about, I mean, put put yourself again in his shoes. How about even more painful is that his family must have allowed it to happen. There's nothing we can do with this guy. Take him. Do with him as you will. So to be rejected by your own family and be given up to total strangers and be done with them in that way just to kind of wash your hands, this guy had nobody. I mean nobody. And then along comes Jesus. This man was disgusting. This man was isolated. This man was living in fear. This man had experienced the ultimate of rejections and at all of this insult to injury, he had a pile of demons inside of him. What do you want with me? He asked Jesus. And he prepared for the worst. But look how Jesus responds. Luke chapter 8 verse 30 said, Jesus asked him, what is your name? What is your name? Certainly we know the answer to that. He said, Legion, he replied, because many demons had gone into him. Here's the first point that I want to make with you today about what our message is to others. If you want to know what is it that, what is my message? I don't know the Bible. I don't, I don't know the Roman road to salvation. I, I'm not a preacher. I didn't go to Bible school. I, what should I share? Write this down. To those that you come in contact with, Jesus wants to know their name. What's your name? Jesus wants to know your name. Now notice this man is so overpowered by demons that he doesn't even know his real name. He didn't say, my name is Matthew. My name is Nathaniel. My name is Joshua. He didn't say that. He said, my name is Legion. Can someone's life seem so hopeless that they forget their identity in Christ, and instead they label themselves 
something other than that. Ugly. Worthless. Failure. Unloved. Alone. Evil. And the list goes on and on. You see, Satan, hear me, church, today. Satan wants to convince you that you are these things. He wants to convince you that what you've labeled yourself that is something like this. You are unloved. You are worthless. You are rejected. There's no hope. But let me tell you that God would not label you with these things. God would never tell you that you are ugly, that you are worthless, that you are a failure, that you're unloved, that you're alone, that you're evil. He would not do it. He would absolutely not do it. Our identity today, church, your identity today is not failure. It's not unworthy. It's not unloved. Our mistakes of the past, that's not your identity. But your identity today is in Christ, is that he has loved you already from the moment that you were created in your mother's womb with an everlasting love. That's your identity today. Jeremiah 31, 3 says this about you today. This is God saying to you, I have loved you with an everlasting love. He's telling you this morning that. He's telling you this morning, if you're listening at home, I have loved you with an everlasting love. I have drawn you with my unfailing kindness. Everlasting. And I might add, unconditional. He loves you everlasting. He loves you unconditionally. Here's another one. I love this one. I'm going to read it in its entirety. Psalm 139, starting in verse 13. This is talking about you today. I want you to put your name on this. This is God speaking to you. This is what God's thoughts are about you. Put your name here. It says, for you created my inmost being. Talking to God, you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb beautifully. I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them were I to count them. They would outnumber the grains of sand. When I awake, I am still with you. I want to go back to verse 13. And I want you and me and all of us to say these words out loud together and let the Holy Spirit minister to you these truths. Say this with me. Say, for you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. How precious to me are your thoughts, God. How vast is the sum of them all. 
Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I awake, I am still with you. Hear me today. You are not a mistake. God intentionally made you. He made you on purpose. He made you just the way you are. He loves you. He loves the color of your skin. He loves your gender. He loves your height. He loves how much hair you have on your head or how much you don't. He loves you. He loves your blue eyes. He loves everything about you. He made you on purpose. He wove you in your mama's womb. You're not a mistake. Oh, you're not a mistake. Turn to someone and say, you're not a mistake. And did you know too that Jesus loves you in your sin? He loves you in your failures. He loves you in your shame. He loves you even though you may feel ugly and worthless and alone. And he has a plan for your life. As you give him all of your past, all of your shame, all of your failures, all the lies of the enemy, give it to him and walk out his plan for your life. He not only wants to know your name, I'm here to tell you something really awesome. He, in fact, knows your name, and he loves you. Isaiah 49.1 says, Listen to me, you islands. Hear this, you distant nations. Before I was born, the Lord called me. From my mother's womb, he has spoken my name. He knew you before you were even born. He knew what your name was going to be. He knows your name. You are no stranger to God. God knows you. God loves you. Let's read on. Verse 32. A large herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside. The demons begged Jesus to let them go into the pigs, and he gave them permission. When the demons came out of the man, they went into the pigs, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and was drowned. You know, anything apart from Jesus, church, ultimately leads to death. Wherever you go, take Jesus with you. Whatever you do, take Jesus with you. Anywhere you go apart from him, anything you do outside of him or without him will ultimately lead to death. In that culture, another name for water in a lake was abyss or death. So this man gets to see right in front of him where the voices in his head and in his heart and in his body were leading him the whole time. Those things were leading him to death. The truth is Satan hates you, hates your guts, and has a horrible plan for your life. John 10.10 says the thief, Satan, comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But I, Jesus saying this, I... Jesus says, have come to give you life and live life to the full. How many would like to live a life of stealing and killing and destroying, of being, having that done to you? Anybody want to sign up for that? Nobody in their right mind would, but yet we do, don't we? How many would rather sign up to have life and have it to the full than Jesus? How about that? You see, that's the truth, and that's the answer, and that's the joy, and that's the blessing that we have. That's the truth that we have to share, and yet we keep it to ourselves. We see people that are out there being stolen, killed, and destroyed every day of our lives, and we've got life and have it to the full in Jesus, but we keep it to ourselves. Shame on us as a church for not sharing 
the blessed hope that we have in Jesus. The good news of the gospel. The good news of salvation. Help us, Lord, to share that news. So the man asked the question in Luke 8, 28, Jesus, what do you want with me? This leads me to the second thing that I want us to know today. You can write this down. Jesus wants to help you. Jesus wants to help you. Think about it. Everyone else wanted to bind him up. Everyone else wanted to discard him. Everyone else wanted to keep him away. But Jesus came to free him. Jesus came. He cared infinitely more about this man than the mess that this man had created in his life. And it definitely was a mess. It wasn't just a herd of pigs drowning. It was actually even someone else's livelihood at the bottom of the Sea of, the, the sea of Galilee. Think about it. To Jesus, this man's life was more important than anything else. Jesus braved a storm to get to him. Jesus went into a foreign land to get to him. Jesus confronted demons just for this one man. Jesus shows that he cares even if it's messy. Even if it's not popular. Even if he might catch some flack for it. Jesus chooses you, and Jesus wants to help you today. Do you hear me? Now, recently, I've been working, trying to help a young man who showed up at our church doorstep some weeks ago. Some of you know who I'm talking about. His name is David. Some of you have stepped in to help with him as well, and I appreciate that. David, one poor decision after another, has brought him to a place not too different than this man that we're reading about in the Bible today. His life is a mess. And we could have turned him away. We could have relegated him to the graveyard of his decisions and said, you made your bed, you lay in it. We could have said, why don't you just die already? He almost did. But we chose to know his name. We chose to help him. We chose to be Jesus to him. And we're still working with him. And I need you to pray for him. But he's an example of so many different people over the years that Kelly and I and the staff and the leaders here have dealt with that our lives have intersected with people that are broken, they're bound. They've reached their end. Now, I don't know what's going to happen eventually to David. That's really up to him. It's really a choice that he makes. And I'm not sure that he's reached his bottom yet. I don't know. I'm not sure where he is in the 17 touches most people get on average before they finally turn to Jesus. But I'm going to remain faithful to plant and water and pray as he gives his heart, hopefully, to Jesus. And I'm going to do the same for you and for you for you and for anybody else that the Lord brings, brings into my life. I do pray that he ends up healed and rescued. Have a sound mind. And that, as this man in our story became today. Let's continue in verse 34. When those tending the pigs saw what had happened, they ran off and reported this to the, town, to the townspeople in the countryside. And the people went out to see what had happened. And when they came to Jesus, they found the man, the demon-possessed man, from whom the demons had gone out, sitting at Jesus' feet, dressed in his right mind. And they were afraid. So I want you to remember that this whole 
scene is with a naked, crazy man. We would probably run and call the cops and turn them in for indecent exposure if that were to happen today. <laughs> now, and I also, I'm also not saying that if you're in that sort of situation today after church, if you come across somebody, I'm not saying necessarily go up and hug them, but, but Jesus definitely saw him differently than the rest of the group. When Jesus first approached this man, he didn't have any clothes on. But now he does. Where do you think he got those clothes from? I'm not sure where he got them from, but I'm guessing it was either from Jesus or one of his disciples. They probably collected some clothing. Hey, can we borrow that coat? Can we borrow that? And together, from their resources, they cobble it together. You see, Jesus cared not only about this man's soul, but he also cared about his reputation. I'm not only going to reach out and tell you I love you and deliver you from these demons, but I'm going to put some clothes on you because you're a different person and I care about what people think about you now. He cared about his physical needs and so he clothed him. You know, there's an old saying that goes, I don't care how much you know until I know how much you care. Church, let's be a caring church. We are. Thank you for that. Let's continue to do so. We can preach Jesus all day long, but if our actions don't represent what we're preaching, it's all in vain, right? So he asks, what do you want with me? And Jesus says, I want to know your name. Jesus says, I want to help you. And finally, this third thing that I want us to get from this story today is this. Jesus today wants a relationship with you. So as this man sat at Jesus' feet, what do you think they talked about? Because you know they were talking about something. The man was delivered from demons. The people ran to the cities and told them what went on. Meanwhile, the disciples are hanging out with Jesus and this formerly demon-possessed, crazed, naked man who is now fully dressed. And a period of time, 30 minutes, an hour, who knows, took place a conversation. It's not documented we can kind of use our imaginations because we kind of know what Jesus would have said. This man was probably thinking, I'm guessing, so that's what this conversation was about. He probably, this man, I'm, I'm sure, was thinking something to the effect of, why did you do this for me? You don't know me. Why did you do it for me? I'm a stranger to you. Why? Well, Luke, 80, Luke chapter 8, verses 36 and 37 Let's talk about this for a second. Those who had seen it told the people how the demon-possessed man had been cured. Then all the people of the region of the Gerasenes asked Jesus to leave them because they were overcome with fear. And so he got into the boat and left. I'm sure Jesus probably answered the question, the reason I did this for you is because I love you. And that's why I'm here. I'm living my life on mission and my mission today is to travel across the, the lake, face the storm, come into a totally different place, a foreign land, because I knew you were going to be here today, and I knew that you needed Jesus. Now, there's a couple of things about this last scripture that I read that I want to point out to you. First, you can see, obviously, that people were not ready for Jesus. Notice that Jesus didn't try to reason with them with an argument. He didn't say, hey, man, let me just tell you what's going on here. He didn't pull off some sort of miracle and make demons go into them as punishment or have some other pigs fly back out of the water, back onto the land, some sort of awesome thing like that. He just said, okay, 
gotcha. And they hopped back in the boat and they left. Second, as I said, Jesus came all the way to the other side of that lake for this one guy. Just one. If you read this passage before this one, you'll find the disciples almost died in a storm on the way over. Jesus believed that this one demon-possessed guy was worth it. And I'm here to tell you today, so are you. The person you've been working up the nerve to start up a spiritual conversation with, they're worth it too, aren't they? Aren't they? Yes, they're worth it. Verse 38 says, the man from whom the demons had gone out begged to go with Jesus. But Jesus sent him away saying, return home and tell how much God has done for you. So the man went away and told all over town how much Jesus had done for him. Now, you may think, well, why didn't Jesus let, let him go with him? That seems a little kind of cold, doesn't it? Well, what does this man have in this area anyway? Think about it. All he had is a bad reputation. I mean, who wouldn't want to leave and get a clean start somewhere? Who would want to leave and get a clean start anywhere but where they were at that moment? Do you get what I'm saying? You may have made some mistakes, and you feel like if I can just have a change of venue, everything will be fine, but you're going to take those things with you. God wants to do a work in and through your life right here where you are. He wants people to see that what you were is not who you are now. You've been redeemed, transformed. You're a new creation. You're not anything like that person I thought you were before. What happened to you? <clears throat> I can imagine this guy walking back into town, everyone knowing his past, and a year or so after that, he's courting a young woman, and the dad come up to him and says, wait a minute, aren't you that crazy dude that used to run around the cemetery naked? You just get out of here and stay away from my little girl, you know? This man wants to go with Jesus, but Jesus sent him away to, a, to his hometown with another plan. This guy had been a Christian for maybe an hour or so. So you think, well, doesn't this guy need more training? Think about it. Oh, we need to go to Bible school now. I got saved and delivered, so I'm going to go to Bible school now. I'm going well, to get into the Word. I'm going to know it so I know what to preach. I know what to say. Jesus sent him to the town with about an hour of experience of Christianity under his belt. Instead, Jesus gave him a mission. He said, return home and tell how much God has done for you. We're getting close to what our message is here today. Now, I think if you read that, it just sounds like he's just going to go to his house, tell his family what happened. But instead, he went way above and beyond Jesus' instructions and shared his testimony all over the entire region. How do we know? Because if you go back to Mark chapter 5, verse 20, Luke writes the word town, but Mark fleshes it out a bit more. He says, so the man went away and began to tell in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and all the people were amazed. So he didn't just go tell mom and dad, brother and sister. He went and told the population of 10 cities, because Decapolis means 10 cities. So he went to these 10 different cities and began, they were all together, kind of close by. He didn't just go to his family. He went all over the place and told people how much Jesus had done for him, which brings us to the question today that I'd like us to answer. What's my message? What's my message? What's my message? 
Well, if all of us have been called to mission, and our mission is Jesus' mission of souls for God's kingdom, then what am I supposed to share? And here's the answer. It's the same thing that this man shared. Well, pastor, I was never naked and crazy in a cemetery with chains on. That's not what I'm talking about. In essence, you were those things, but you have a unique story that's just yours. It's really simply this. Write this down. My message is share God's goodness that is intersected with your life. Share the moment that Jesus showed up in your life and changed things around. Share it. That's your message. What did Jesus do for you? And how has it personally impacted your life? See, you can do that. That doesn't require knowing a lot of scripture. That doesn't require going out and handing out gospel tracts. That doesn't require you having anything in your hands. That message that you're supposed to be ready to, to share is the kind of message that doesn't have to be memorized. You don't have to memorize where Jesus intersected with your life. You know exactly where. I mean, it's right there. Now, when was it that happened? You know when that happened. What was it that happened? You know what happened. You don't have to memorize it. It's fresh. It's right on your tongue. You know your story because you lived your story. So it's an easy story to tell. And you can tell that story with excitement, with clarity, with passion, with an anointing and a sensitivity and a compassion. Jesus just is asking us to tell a story because that's what this man did. He just told a story of what Jesus did for him. I can't tell your story. And you can't tell my story. But we all have a story. And I promise you this, that every single one of our stories is the same in, this, in the sense that it all ends at the foot of the cross where Jesus has rescued us and given us a new life in him. Do I hear it, amen? So church, tell your story. What's my message? Your story is your message. Start there. One more little footnote here that I want to point out in Mark chapter 7, a couple of chapters later in verse 31. It says, Jesus left the vicinity of Tyre and went through Sidon down to the Sea of Galilee and into the region of the Decapolis. He went back. Jesus went back. A couple of chapters later, some time had passed. In Mark chapter 8, we read, if you continue reading that, and I'll let you read it later on, but I'll give you the synopsis of it. Jesus went back to the Decapolis, and he fed about 4,000 men in that same region where this man was delivered. And if you look at it, so again, he, he goes the first time for this one guy before he sent him away, but then he comes back a little bit later with feeding 4,000 men, and you can look at 12 to 15,000 people when you include women and children. A lot of people. We're impacted for God's kingdom. So what was the difference? Why is it that they turned him away the first time? Jesus, they turned Jesus away. Oh, we're scared of you. Go away. But the second time, it's like, hey, stay here. We want to know more. What's the difference? What's the difference? I think you know the difference. It's pretty obvious what the difference is. It was that one crazy, naked, demon-possessed man. That's the difference. Who is no longer naked, no longer crazy, no longer demon-possessed, but he's in his right mind, right heart, fully clothed, and has a story to tell. And he told the people, and thousands came to intersect with Jesus, and Jesus to intersect with them. 
I want you to think about what that means for just a moment. He went out and shared this with everyone. He probably went to his family. He told them what happened. He shared with the very people who had cuffed him in chains and left him to die. This message was just too good to pass up. I know who you are. You're that guy that was demon-possessed in the tombs. Now you're totally different. What's the difference? And he said, Jesus is the difference in my life. And he can be the difference in yours as well. He told the story, and the people embraced it because they saw the difference, and they wanted that same difference in their life. I don't know how it all went down, but don't you just picture maybe Jesus preaching to these thousands of people. He noticed maybe that man, the demon-possessed man, who's now fully clothed, and in his right mind, they made eye contact. Here's Jesus preaching and sharing the gospel, the good news. And maybe after all the crowds had dissipated, after they've eaten and left and went home, the man sticks around and Jesus just wraps him up in a big old bear hug. And he says, well done. Well done, good and faithful servant. Well done. Well done. Look at how many lives you impacted. Well done. Church, you have no idea the impact that God wants to make through you. Jesus took this crazy, most insecure and unqualified man and he used him to start one of the biggest revivals that was recorded in the Gospels. You may say, I can't do this. You may say, well, I'm shy. You may say, I can't talk with people about God. This is just not my thing. Let me ask you something. Are you known in our community for running around the local cemetery in your neighborhood naked and screaming? (laughs) Yes or no? How about this? Has anyone ever chained you up because you're so out of control? Yes or no? I'm talking about currently, not like when you were kids. (laughs) If both of those are emphatic no's, then let me tell you this. You have far less to overcome than this guy did. And he brought about one of the biggest spiritual awakenings that was recorded in God's word. So stop saying I can't and start saying God can. Jesus wants to know your name. Jesus wants to help you. Jesus wants a relationship with you. And there's others that Jesus wants to know their name. He wants to help them and he wants a relationship with them. He wants us to go and share our story with others. So as we close today, I want to point out one more thing. At some point, I'm sure that this former demon-possessed man probably started to lose some of his passion. Why do I say that? Because just about everybody does. The truth is that mission and passion leaks. We kind of leak, don't we? He needs to be reminded of what his life was about now. So let me just say this. If your passion uh, is waning... Here's the best remedy to get your passion back up. You want to hear what it is? Share your story a lot. Regularly share it. You know what that's going to do? It's going to remind you, while at the same time it's blessing them, it's going to remind you of God's faithfulness, of God's goodness, of God's power to redeem. When you rehearse it and you share it, it's not only going to bless others, but it's going to bless you. And that'll kind of patch up some of those leaky holes in our hearts. Say, wait a minute. Even if it was 50 years ago, 60 years ago, 80 years ago, share your story. 
and let it build back up again that faith and that whoa God is so good guess what he did in my life he can do the same for you there's two groups of people that I'd like to pray with today and if you would stand with me this morning the first group is those who need Jesus and the second group are those who need to share their story and tell others about Jesus. So this first group, with every eye closed and head bowed, I want to invite you to make a decision for Christ today. I could tell you my story, but I won't. I don't have time, but I'll tell you this. It ended at the foot of the cross. He brought me from where I was without him and rescued me and brought me to right relationship with him. My story is different than yours. Your story could be that this is the day for you to be at the foot of the cross and say, I want Jesus to come and rescue me. The chains that are around me, the crazy way that I'm living, the nakedness of my life, my reputation, the shame, all the stuff, I've made an absolute mess of it. But I'm so thankful that Jesus takes our mess and makes a mess edge out of it for others. So, give him your mess. If that's you today, I just simply want you to pray a prayer. And all of us together can pray it. But the Bible says if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is God's Son, that He died and rose again and that he shed his blood for your sins so that we could be restored back to right relationship with God the Father. That's what Jesus did. Sin created a chasm between us and God and Jesus became the bridge to get us from where we are to where God is. That's simple. And he can take your mess and make a message out of it. Pray this prayer with me. Say, Jesus, I thank you for taking my mess right now and making a message out of it. I come to the foot of the cross. I repent of my sins. Won't you come? Wash me clean. Help me to be born again and have relationship now with God the Father. I thank you, Jesus, that I'm now saved. I'm born again. I'm a child of God. Now, Lord, take my mess and make a message out of it so that others can experience what I just experienced. In Jesus' name. Now I want to pray if you keep your eyes closed and your head bowed. I want to pray this prayer for everyone else. I'm going to pray this over you. Lord, I thank you that we're children of the living God. You've already given us a verdict of well done, good and faithful servant. We thank you for that before we even step out of this door here today. Lord, I thank you that today we're not living for the opinions of others or even our own opinions of ourselves. I thank you, Lord, that none of us have anything to prove, nothing to lose. We, we've been set free to live a life of power and purpose for you, Lord Jesus. So today, we choose to live a life of integrity without compromise. We'll choose to, Lord, ferociously guard what enters into our minds and what exits from our mouths so that you are glorified by every aspect of our lives. 
Lord, I thank you today that you're going to help us. That our focus would be clear. And that our focus is simply just you, Lord Jesus. All the ministry that you want to do through our lives will come out of our relationship with you. That personal, daily life of loving you and growing in you. So, today, Lord, we prioritize being with you in all that we do. Everything that we say, everything that we think, everything that we do. Today, help us to not walk into rooms proclaiming, here I am. But instead that we would walk humbly and live a life of always saying, there you are, Jesus. Let it be less of us and more of you in our lives. It's all about you. It's all about you. Lord, we've been put here to empower those that you've placed in our lives to impact the world and to set people free to be who you've made them to be. Father, help us to be faithful with that. Today, our mission is massive, but I thank you, Lord, that we're not alone. I thank you for the army of God that is here today in this church and the army of God in your big C church and that we're all doing our part as we're all doing our part to make a difference. And there's only that there's only one number that matters, Lord, and that's lowering the lostness in your county, lowering the lostness in our world today. Lord, I thank you that today, and we're very aware of this, that there's a race to the heart of every child, every young person, every adult. The first one there is going to win. So I'm here, Lord Jesus. We're here today. Help us reach York County, one child at a time, one young person at a time, one family at a time. Lord, we thank you that today is an incredible opportunity to be bold and to share the gospel with those who haven't heard the good news yet, that we can tell our stories. It's a perfect day to share our story of what you have done for us. It's a day to notice the unnoticed. It's a day to, to be distracted by divine interruptions. Today, would you break our hearts for what breaks your heart? And today, would you have our hearts beat fast for the things that you're the most passionate about, and that is souls for your kingdom. Jesus, I can't give you much today, but I'm going to give you today. I'm going to give you my life. I'm going to give you my time. I'm going to give you my all. This is not my day to live today. It's your day. This is the day that you've made and you've placed me in it. So use me however you want. I'm yours to share your story, what you've done for me. But that's our prayer today. And that's what I pray over this congregation. Help us to go from this place and share our story. We love you. We praise you. We thank you for all these things for Jesus it's in your beautiful and wonderful and powerful name that we pray and all God's people said amen thank you for joining us this morning join us next week as we continue to learn from God's word and apply it to our lives